And you can be seated. Hey, let's just tell the student band we're so thankful for them leading us this morning. What a great job. Uh, I, uh, I'm so thankful for them. I'm thankful for this church believing in our students. And I shared this in the first service because he was in the room. Uh, but uh, Pastor Mike, who was the former pastor of this church who retired uh, and before Pastor James uh, came to be the lead pastor, uh, he's still a church member active in this church, leads a life group. And I remember having lunch with him not long after I came here four years ago, and he was sharing about his gratitude for what God is doing in this church. And he said, God is so good to us, to me and Nancy, his wife, to let us see him answer our prayers. And that was four years ago, and as we are in this room this morning, and as we have middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, leading us in worship, isn't it great that God lets us see him answer prayers, right? Oh, y'all can get excited about that, okay? Um, like... Uh, it's just that the priority of every generation is the next generation, and we are blessed, thankful for our student leaders, for Alec and uh, Ashley and their leadership in our student ministry and all that they do. Uh, my name is Justin. For those of you I don't know, I'm the uh, Associate Pastor of Worship and Missions, and uh, James is out of town uh, this Sunday, so it's my privilege uh, to preach this morning and just open the Word of God uh, this morning. We've been in a series called It's Not Over, But It Is Finished, going through the book of Mark, and we've taken a three week pause as we've gotten to the passage that deals with the cross. Because we didn't want to just move on from the cross. We didn't want to just preach a few verses, talk about the cross, and move on. Because the truth is we cannot move on from the cross. You know, Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that uh, for some people, they consider it kind of a throwaway holiday. For you, many of you, it was just an interruption uh, into your two-month-long celebration of Christmas that began on November 1st, uh, right? Some of y'all are like, yeah, I know. Um, because we, we live in this culture of we just want to get on with the next thing, Right? We just want to get on with the next thing. I mean, some of y'all saw the new Black Panther movie the over Thanksgiving break, and by the end, you're already Googling, when does Black Panther 3 come out? I need more. Like, we just are, we are conditioned to want more just to move on. And I remember as a child, uh, Thanksgiving was kind of like a bummer holiday because you're like, all I do is see relatives I haven't seen in a year and eat. Like, I eat every day. Give me Christmas. I want stuff. But I will say, as an adult, I love Thanksgiving. Don't you? If you don't, you're weird. Like, it's just so good. I mean, Christmas is so much more work. And Thanksgiving, it's just like food and being thankful. Like, I love that. Give me more food. Teach me to be more thankful. But we didn't want to just move on just like we do with Thanksgiving, just like we do with everything else in culture, because we cannot move on from the cross. Without the cross and resurrection, Paul says, if the resurrection is not true, then we are to be pitied. Without the resurrection, we're to be pitied. Without the cross, without the resurrection, without a Savior who paid the price in full, without a Savior who conquered the grave, we are to be pitied. We are to be considered the fools. But... We want to spend time this morning focusing on the cross. And as we've spent time on the past few weeks as Pastor James has taught on the cross, this morning he asked me to preach on the cross and the response of worship. How does our response in worship, how is the cross inform our response in worship? John Piper, pastor, uh, has this quote. I love this quote, and I, um, not in your notes, but it's on the screen. Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. 
cherish it for the treasure that it is, and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. So the cross, we sing songs about it, we have imagery, we have architecture, we have art, we have decorations, we have jewelry, we have tattoos that lift up the cross. But why do we do this? So this morning, I'm not really gonna teach a lot of new stuff. I just wanna highlight what the word of God says about the cross and what our response in worship is. If you would, turn with me to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. We're gonna look at these words that were recorded by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was born, hundreds of years before the first Christmas but they were written about the suffering servant who would come to deliver his people. So Isaiah chapter 53, we're gonna read the whole chapter. Because the word's good, isn't it? All right, so I, 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 need, I need you to talk back. I mean, good things only, but uh, <laughs> be quiet. I'm just Sorry, I got the mic. Um, Brad's got the volume. Here we go. Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By, the knowledge, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. 
and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And reading these words causes us to tremble at your holy name. Jesus, I pray this morning as we have already been reminded of the cross through our songs, that as we read your word, that you will remind us again of the cross. Jesus, of your body that was given for us, your blood that was poured out, and that you rose victorious. Jesus, we pray this in your good, faithful name. Amen. In John chapter 4, there's a very familiar story that's familiar to Christians and non-Christians. It's the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And they encounter each other, and the Samaritan woman asks a question. She says, you Jews worship here, the Samaritans, we worship here on Mount Gerizim. Tell us, where are we going to worship? And Jesus responds in John chapter 4, verse 23. He says this to this woman. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And with this answer, Jesus helps this woman see several things about true worship. First is this, that worship is not bound to a location or walls. That worship is not bound to a physical place. That worship comes from within. Worship comes from the spirit of God welling up within us. And that worship must always conform to the revealed truth of God. We worship in spirit and truth. Now, in modern church culture, we tend to err on one of these sides. We're like, we have churches that are like, our church is just filled with the spirit. And you go there and you're like, "Mm, I don't know what kind of spirit this is, but uh, I don't think you need to blame it on the Holy Spirit, right? And then we have churches who are like, no, we are all about the truth. We are serious about the truth. We are so serious about the truth that we always look serious and there is no joy in our faces. Our faces have no wrinkles because we've never smiled. But Jesus says we worship in spirit and in truth. And what this means is that we need God to worship God. And as the Holy Spirit is working in us, as he is revealing himself to us, as he has revealed himself to us through his word, as he is showing us the depths and riches of his mercy that are poured out on the cross, that truth wells up affection in our spirit. And for those who are born of God, who are sons and daughters, and the spirit in us testifies, that spirit spirit makes us hunger and long for more truth. And the more we encounter the truth of God, the more the affections of our spirit are welled up. And the more our affections of the spirit are welled up, we hunger and thirst for the truth. And the truth has a name, his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. And so when we worship, it is this response. Worship is a response to the truth. And I don't know where I got this definition from. I think, I I can't source it, but I like it. I don't know where it came from. Maybe me, maybe not, probably not. So worship is this. Worship is a response to God's revelation of himself. 
Worship is a response to God's revelation of himself. And God has revealed himself to us through his word. God has revealed himself to us through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the living word. He has revealed himself to us and our worship is a response to that revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, the testimony of scripture from Genesis to Revelation is that Jesus Christ is savior. Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is redeemer. And we look to the cross and we see these things and our worship is a response to this revelation. God has revealed himself to us. So Jesus says, worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. And Paul writes in Romans 12, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, my brothers, by the, so I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to offer your, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is your spiritual worship to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And Paul uses a word, uh, soma, for body that really isn't a word that we have in our English language. And this word to the listener would understand that it means everything about you. The best word we have is body because our body is kind of the capsule of us here on this earth, of our bones, of our thoughts, of our mind, of our spirit. But what Paul is saying is that everything about you, in light of God's mercy, in light of Jesus, in light of his crucifixion, in light of his resurrection, everything about us is to be lived as a response to this revelation. Everything is to be lived as an act of worship. So Jesus says worship is not bound to a physical, lo physical location or place. And Paul says everything about you is worship. So why is it that we talk about worship in terms of, I just left church and the worship was okay. I liked the worship today. I did not like the worship today. The worship today was fill in the blank. All right, some of y'all are like, that was me. Whatever. Like, why do we do this? Why do we qualify worship in these types of things? Why do we, why do we grade worship like, well, they sang my jam today. Mm-hmm, got my hands up. Well, I didn't sing mine. Well, you know, why do we quantify? It's because it's so much easier to focus on the external things than the internal things. It's so much easier to point fingers at all the things that aren't to our liking and our preferences and our opinions, and we've all got opinions, and you know what they say about opinions, right? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to say that, but we've all got them, and it's okay to have opinions, and it's okay to have preferences, but when we exalt our opinions and our preferences above what the Word of God teaches about truth, we are idolatrous. Francis Chan, pastor, tells the story of a woman who came to him after service and said, oh, that was a great message, but I really didn't enjoy the worship today. I didn't like the songs we sang. And he said, good, we weren't singing to you. So I've got that T-shirt made, and I'm going to wear it every time. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but isn't that a, that's a great reminder for me, too. That's a great reminder for me, too, as the guy who picks the songs. 
It's not about me, and it's not about my preference, and it's not about what I like or what they like. It is about the glory of Jesus Christ, amen? It is about the glory of Jesus Christ. We would so much more want to focus on everything else and everyone else's problems and everything we would change if we were in charge than look inside and say, Lord, you've got to do some surgery right here. So corporate worship is incredibly important, but what Paul is writing is that everything we do when we leave the corporate worship gathering is to be done as worship. And worship isn't just music. It isn't just teaching. It's all of that, and it's our lives lived for his glory. And so what do we do when we worship? One of the root issues that we have when it comes to the worship gathering is this, is that we, myself included, are far more driven by our feelings than we ever want to admit. I feel a certain way, and so I act a certain way. I like this, so I feel a certain way, so I'm not good. I, I prefer, I prefer it. But it all comes back to our feelings but this isn't the way it should be. In worship, we don't go with what we feel. We go with what we know. We go with what we know, not what we feel. You know, I, our youngest daughter is six, and like most six years old, she still gets scared at night when there's a storm, and she gets scared about other things. You know, if it's lightning outside, and she's upset in her bed, like, the loving fatherly thing to do is not to walk into her room and be like, suck it up, girl. It's lightning. God made it. Deal with it. Like some of y'all did that, and that's why you're messed up, right? That's why <laughs> some of your parents may have done that, but you, we don't go. You're crazy for being scared. That lightning can't get you. You're being so irrational. That is an incredibly unloving response to fear. What do you fight the feeling with? The truth. Baby, that lightning is outside and that lightning can't get you. That's true. So it's okay to be scared. But in light of what we know, do we need to be scared anymore? No. And aren't you thankful that God does that to us? that he, he's merciful to us and, and he reminds us and when we, when he reminds us of the truth. And so when we come to worship, we come not to be reminded of all the things we feel, but for everything we feel to be renewed and, remind, and renewed and be reminded of the truth. Alistair Begg has a, a video, he's a pastor, a theologian, and he has this video that's gone around social media and it's hilarious because he talks about going to a service and he's like, I get up there and the worship leader just starts off the service and he's like, hey church, how you feeling? I'm like, Terrible, actually. <laughs> I mean, and if I were to ask that question, like, how are you feeling? You're like, well, I'm feeling tired because it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving and I'm still full of turkey and dressing. And I feel stressed out because I know what's coming this week. And I actually am a little angry because her. And I'm a little ticked off because of him. And I think that you, and, then, and that's why I don't stand up here and say, hey, church, how you feeling? Because I don't really want to know how you're feeling. I'm feeling mad, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I don't need to be reminded of how I feel. I don't need to come to a corporate worship gathering and be reminded that life is hard. I'm living the hard. 
I don't need to come to a worship gathering and be reminded there's mountains and there's valleys. Duh, I've gone on the mountain and I've been in the valley. I don't need to come to a worship gathering and be reminded that I'm enough, that I'm brave and I'm special. No, my pride does a really good job of telling me those things all the time. Yours too, amen, right? Our pride puffs us up all the time. I don't need that. I need to be reminded of the truth I need to be reminded not of what I feel, but what is true. And then my feelings will be transformed to the truth. Feelings are real, but feelings aren't true, right? Feelings are real. You got them. They're not bad. Feelings are good. Some of y'all need to tell yourself, it's okay to have feelings, all right? It's okay to show an emotion. But it is not okay to let our emotions and feelings dictate us when we know what is true. We will feel all kinds of things contrary to the wisdom and counsel of God's word. But this is our authority. And so we do not go with what we feel. We go with what we know. So what do we do in worship when we gather together? When you're home, when you're open with the word, you got the word open, when you are in the car, when you are at work, when you are in a meeting, what do we do? We strive to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We constantly need to be reminded of this truth. We constantly need to be reminded of the truth because worship is a response to the revelation Worship is a response to revelation and God has revealed himself to us and so we constantly need to be reminded of what is true. And we also need to be reminded that we will never fully be able to comprehend the depths and riches of God this side of eternity. Romans 11, 33, oh, the depth and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, how and his paths beyond tracing out. So what do we do in worship? We keep our eyes on Jesus and we look to the cross. We just read this passage from Isaiah chapter 53. Let's be reminded of what he did at the cross. What we just sang about. Isaiah chapter 53, five and six. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Praise God for this truth, amen? Praise God for this truth. So Jesus Christ, son of God, came from heaven to earth, lived, died, rose again, paid the price. Like That is a wonderful news. So why isn't this enough for us? Why is it that we still struggle? And I think we struggle, I think I struggle, because I'm a forgetful person. I think that we are forgetful people. I mean, I lose my keys and my wallet all the time. Some of y'all, you know, I need some air tags for Christmas, y'all. So y'all, can, y'all can just send that my way. I need about 100 of them for all the things to keep up with that I always lose. And Christy's like, yep, I know where they are and you don't. So um, that's just life. But, but we, it's not just forgetting where we put things. It's forgetting the truth. It's forgetting the truth. And so what I wanna focus on as we look Again, at the cross, what Jesus has done is there are three ways that I think that we forget the truth. These are three enemies of grateful worship. 
and how the cross destroys these. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. And so this morning, we don't have the power to defeat enemies, but the Spirit of God does. And so the first enemy is this. First enemy of grateful worship is entitlement. You can't be grateful if you feel entitled. You can't be grateful if you feel entitled. And we oftentimes act as if God owes us something. And we live in a culture of instant gratification. We want what we want when we want it, and we want it faster. I mean, we complain when our internet is slow. And I think we should just be like, I can't believe that this is happening in my hand on a phone. Like, I have access to the internet. Like, in my, my, and we're like, oh, it's so slow, man. I got four bars, not five. Like, we want instant gratification. We feel entitled. We, we are so entitled to things. We invented a button on the microwave that says popcorn because we're too lazy to hit one, four, five, start. Like, that's how instant we want everything to be. We want the glory without the suffering. We feel entitled. We act as if God owes us anything. But the word of God tells us a different story. Romans 6, 23 says this, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the cross how it destroys entitlement is this, is the cross shows us what we really deserve. And it shows us a savior who paid the price on our behalf. And if you've grown up in church, that's not a new concept to you, but man, do we need to be reminded of that. The cross shows us what we really deserve, that we are dead in our sin and we deserve nothing. But we see a savior. When we look at the cross, we see how we should die. We should see that we should be paying the price for our sin. And we see that we cannot pay the price for our sin. And we see a savior who paid the price on our behalf. Everything above zero is God's grace to you. We are entitled to nothing. The second enemy is discontent. I struggle with this a lot. Do you? Like, I struggle with being discontent. We want what we do not have. We see other people's circumstances and we want their life. We see other people's gifts and we want their gifts. We see other people's abilities and we want their abilities. We see other people's platforms, their lifestyles, their friends, their families, and we want what they got to the neglect of being grateful for what we do have. And there's three ways that I think discontent really manifests itself. The first is hurry. So we're constantly rushing from one thing to the other to get everywhere we have to be, to do all the things we have to do, to be everything that we can be, to have more and do more. We're always in a hurry because we're so discontent. And here's why I think we're always in a hurry. I think we're afraid to be still. And I think we're afraid to be still because when we're still, we actually have to do a little bit of like, we don't wanna be left alone with our thoughts. <laughs> And we don't want what's in our hearts to be revealed. Like, I'm a doer, and I really have a hard time sitting still. Really, really. Sometimes the best thing for me to do is just to sit still and to be reminded of what God has blessed me with. In discontent, we also, another way discontent shows itself is that we complain. 
we complain, when we, we disparage what we do have, we think everything would be better if things were different. We think everything would be better uh, if they were different, if you were different. And usually the if that we want to be different to someone else, never us, right? We're always fine, you know? We think, I want them to be different. I want my circumstances to be different. And, and it's okay to have longings that circumstances are different because some of our circumstances are bad. And they're some by our own doing and some by others doing. It's okay to want that. However, our circumstances never dictate our worship. Our circumstances never dictate our gratitude. There are a thousand things I wish were different about me and my life, but none of them dictate my worship. None of them. So you could choose to be grateful, and that will destroy the discontent. And the last is comparison. So why isn't my life like theirs? I want it. Let me just tell you, it's okay to want your life to be better. It's okay to not be content with how things are. But if your desire for your life to be better is making you bitter, you have a heart issue. If our desire, I should say our, not you. If our desire to be better is making us bitter, we have a heart issue that only Jesus can change. And so how do we fight discontent? Let's read together Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. I told you we just want to read the word. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. The cross shows us that everything we need is already ours. The cross shows us that everything we need is already ours, paid in full. Like, I've got to be reminded of that because I am so prone to be discontent. But everything I need is already mine in Jesus Christ. The third enemy that I think the cross just absolutely obliterates that distracts us from grateful worship is this, is pride. It's pride. And we are so puffed up. We think we are so amazing. We think everything that's happened good in our lives is all because we were just born a little extra special. <laughs> and obviously I have these blessings 
because I'm gifted and I'm smart and I've made wise choices. And that is the exact opposite of what scripture teaches us. Everything above zero is a free gift of grace. And you did nothing to earn it. You did absolutely, we did absolutely nothing to earn anything good that God gives us. We could not pay the price for our sin. If we were to die on the cross, our sins would still not be forgiven because we are not a perfect sacrifice. Only Jesus could pay the price. Rome, excuse me, Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11. Let's read this. Philippians chapter two, one through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God, the Father, amen. There is one name, one name alone, the name of Jesus, which you say his name with me. There is one name alone, the name of Jesus that will be exalted in eternity in heaven forever and forever and forever. There is one name that will be exalted and it's not Justin and it's not you. It is the name of Jesus. So who are we? Who are we to think we can stand on our own before a holy God? His word says that if he were to keep a record of wrongs, who could stand? No one. No one can stand, but praise him. There is forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The cross has shown us the reality that you and I could never atone for our own sins. You and I can never atone for our own sins. Someone had to do that for you. Someone had to die your death. And that means you are dependent on someone outside of yourself for your eternity. Now, I don't like to ask for help. I think probably the vast majority of us would say, yeah, I agree. You don't, we don't like to be needy. Like, I don't wanna be needy, even when I'm sick. I don't like being sick, not because I don't wanna be sick, because I just don't wanna be, like, needy. I remember, like, when we first got married, that took adjusting, because Christy's parents growing up were like, hey, we're gonna take care of you, you're sick, oh, you know, and my mom was, like, an elementary school principal, and you had to be throwing up on the way to school to miss school, like, you're gonna be there, and they're just, you know, so I'm kinda like, hey, leave me alone, I'm good, I don't wanna, I don't need any, but we need people, and we need each other, and certainly we need a savior, we don't like to be needy, but nothing can atone for our sin. Nothing, nothing, nothing that you do can earn your salvation. Lingering at the cross will make us worshipful. It'll destroy our pride. When we look at the cross, it will make us content. 
And when we look at the cross, we will recognize that everything we have is a free gift of grace. And this revelation from the word of God will cause us to respond because worship is a response to God's revelation. So in this series we've been in, uh, it's called, It Isn't Over, But It Is Finished. And it's based off this passages we've been talking about, about the cross. And Jesus hung on the cross and he said the words, it is finished. But I want us to remember this, that it isn't over, but it is finished. And there will be a day when it is done. It isn't over, but it is finished. And there will be a day when it's done. Let me explain what I mean. We live in the it's not over part. But Jesus said, as he hung on the cross, John 19, 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he finished, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So when Jesus says, these words, it is finished. He's saying the demands of the law have been fulfilled. It's done. The price has been paid in full. There is no more is there need for sacrifice. This is the one sacrifice that atones for the sins of the world. It is finished. And when Jesus says it, the Greek literally means it has been accomplished. It's done. Debt paid in full. But right now we're living in this, it's not over. We're living in this broken, fallen world where there is suffering, where there is heartache, where there are things that happen that we don't ask for. And, and for those of you who have experienced loss, like Thanksgiving and holidays, this is a, you're entering in the, one of the worst, you don't look forward to Thanksgiving, you don't look forward to Christmas because it's a reminder of what you've lost. But praise God, like Isaiah 53, 4, he says this, surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, spitten by God. Like he has carried those griefs and he is with us in our suffering. And here is the promise we cling to. Pastor James read this passage a few weeks ago. But you can't look to the cross and not look to the end of the story. So if you have your Bibles, I wanna ask that you turn to Revelation chapter 21. Verses one through six. And we look at the cross and we see what Jesus Christ has done for us and the price that he's paid that we can never pay for our own. We are humbled by this. We rest in peace in this. In Revelation 21, verse one through six. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, this vision of heaven. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, 
arise and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. It's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. So why is there no payment? Why is there no payment for the spring of life? And it's because the payment has been paid in full. And when John records these words, he says, he, the, the vision he has of heaven, that God says, he said to me, it is done. So Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. And in heaven, when, when Christ returns and he says, I am making all things new, God says, it is done. And it has a very different meaning than it is finished. It is finished means it's now accomplished. The Greek, the way that they would have understood this in the Greek, it is done means, and by saying this, I am causing it to be over. So it was done, it's paid in full, and there's coming a day when it will be over, folks. The suffering will be done. He will wipe away every tear, and it's purchased for you and for me because of the cross. You didn't do that. You didn't die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross for us. He died your death. He did what you and I could never, ever, ever do. So my question is, like, why do we think that heaven is this place we're going to escape to and save our worship from heaven? When Jesus Christ says, I am making all things new, we get a taste of heaven on earth every time we call on his name, and he is near. We get a taste of heaven on earth when the people of God gather together and just joyously exalt in their Savior. It's a taste of heaven on earth. And it's an imperfect song, but how our Savior delights in it how he delights in the praises of his people. So church, I'm telling you right now, like life is hard. Duh. Like That's not new. But Jesus is faithful. If we, could, if we went around this room, like we could all like one up each other on complaints and criticisms and accomplishments. But all of that under the shadow of the cross fades away. You've done nothing to earn his love and you've done nothing to earn your salvation. So why don't you trust in him? It is a free gift, a free gift, a free gift to you. When our eyes are focused on what is true, worship is a reflex. Worship is a reflex. You know, Professional athletes train and train and train and train. Professional musicians train and train and train and train. Professional anything, you train, you train, you train, you train. You know, like, so a lot of what they do is just a reflex. Leah Brown, who helps lead worship every Sunday on the piano, like, playing the piano's a reflex because she just knows how to do it. Why? Because she's practiced a lot for many years and she's amazing. Some of you are great. You don't, you don't, when, you, when you go and you watch the World Cup, you know, if you're watching that and some of you are watching soccer for the very first time, you know, I know because you're like, oh, what's this event happening? Um, 
These athletes aren't thinking, I need to run. I need to put one foot in front of the other. And no, they're just running because it's their instinct. It's a reflex. You go for the ball. So when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, worship is a reflex. It's not something we have to muster up. It's not something we have to be like, oh, I gotta feel it. No, we go with what we know. If we don't feel it, we go with what we know. We go to the truth. We go to the truth of Jesus. And our only response is, Lord, you are enough. And I submit to you. So this morning, I ask you, how will you respond to the cross? How will you respond to the cross? Is your life being lived as worship? Are you working in a way that's worship? Are you living your life and your family in a way that's worship? If you're single, are you living your singleness as worship? All, all worship we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to respond to you with worship. We want to respond to the cross. And I just pray right now, Lord, help us. Lord, to remember the truth um, of who you are. Help, help us. Your cross is enough. You are sufficient. You're faithful. You're good. And so I pray this morning, just let it be a time where we say, Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy. Help us to trust you, Jesus, and help us to respond to your free gift of grace with gratitude, with grateful worship, and lives that proclaim your faithfulness. We pray this in your good wonderful saving name. Amen.